Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So uh, we're at KitCon, the uh, Continuous Integration and Testing Conference, but it looks strangely like my kitchen. <laughs> That's right. And uh, uh, this is a, a virtual event this year. Um, oh, right. But this is the 15th year of KitCon. Wow. I've got my 2006 shirt on here for those of you watching on video. And uh, so I've got my uh, 2021 shirt on, uh, but the 2006, that was actually when you and I first met uh, at, at this KitCon London. You uh, got which, it. And so, yeah, really great event. And uh, we're actually joined, this is a, an open space event, and this is one of the sessions. And we're recording a session, and we have some people who've joined us. We have PJ, we have Andy, we have Cirillo, and we have Tim. Uh, thank you everyone for joining. And we're going to do, is, is do a special troubleshooting agile where we... Uh, take questions from the audience, and, and there and other people may drop in, or these guys may drop out. That that's what the glory of a open spaces conference is. So don't be offended or confused, dear listener, if suddenly <laughs> a voice appears from nowhere and it's not one of the ones that we just listed. Right. And the first topic we're going to start with today was a, a, a topic that uh, uh, PJ brought up. PJ, what was your your topic for the, for possible troubleshooting discussion? So I really wanted to know why am I still trying to solve the same problems in 2021 using Agile that I was trying to solve in 2001. So I've spent 20 years doing Agile software projects and it feels like some days it feels like we haven't made any headway at all. <laughs> I, I, I totally understand. That's a great topic. And, and PJ, by the way, uh, is someone who is uh, the, the uh, co-organizer and co-founder of, of KitCon, the conference. Uh, and PJ and I, are, he and I, it actually goes back to 2001 uh, on the cruise control project where PJ created the project and I was a relatively early adopter. And for the people who don't know what cruise control is, it was one of the earliest CI tools, continuous integration tools, way back when. Kids these days don't even, has never even heard of cruise control. Jenkins and uh, cloud whatever. Yeah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> That's right. So, but, uh, uh, so this is a, this group here. Um, uh, Andy, uh, was also at the first KitCon of 2006. So really you, you were a relative latecomer. Was it 2008 was your first one? Um, it was uh, Brussels, I think 2007. Oh, 2007. Okay. So, uh, yeah, only 14 years at KitCon. So Tim is maybe the, the newest. Um, so uh, just, I think this is probably, is, has anyone had a different experience? Does anyone find like, oh no, I, I'm only talking about new stuff. I never hear anyone asking those old questions. Well, it depends on what you mean by old questions. So P PJ, I, I suspect that in, in 2001, what, what was your team made up of? Who, who was, who was your typical team in 2001? In 2001, uh, we typically had a team of, let's say, eight developers, two QA people, project manager, and, and two business analysts. And team today? Team today, in general, tends to be very similar, but um, my current team is two engineers, four QA people, one product manager, which is a notable difference from 2001, and um, a lot more stakeholders actively involved. Yep. And the, the key word I heard you use there was people. 
it, it, it sounds like your teams in both cases were made up of people. Is, is, is that accurate? That so is accurate. It, it seems to me that all of the problems that people have, people have with agile development haven't changed. That the people are the same. So what I think you might be saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please correct me, is that the, the knowledge doesn't seem to have reached these people. That somehow in 2001, it was kind of understandable that they might not know stuff. But in 2021, you'd kind of like them to know certain things. But they're still going to be the same people. So I would predict the same kinds of people-based problems, which is, of course, what we talk about on the podcast all the time. You, Squirrel, you're saying you're actually uh, you're saying they're the same people, but I actually think they're not. I think the point is that they're different people, <laughs> and that people have these same problems. Um, but oh, sorry, they're di different arrangements of atoms. Yes, sorry, yeah. yeah. But I mean that they're um, <laughs> that they're that they have the same kinds of people problems that the people of 2001 did, and that wouldn't be surprising. But what might be surprising is that what's happened and changed in 20 years is less than you'd think in terms of knowledge that there's there's information that people used to have that you you understood in 2001 why they didn't have it 2021 you say how can you still not know how this works and and i think there's i think there's something in there which is also about your own perspective of you have grown in the knowledge and so you kind of end up with this perspective of thinking well others should have grown in the knowledge in the same time frame but like it's not it's not a reasonable assumption to be making uh just if it, once it's stated it's like well of course others aren't going to have learned the same things that i learned over that time and even if even if they did learn it at some point they're probably in a different situation they're different people so yeah it's it's it seems like it's it's that annoying grind of teaching that you have to say the same thing again and again and again for them to pick it up because they keep changing. And I like the analogy to teaching because I used to teach maths to um, university students and eight-year-olds and, and other exciting, uh, interesting people. And the new students would come along and need to learn the same material. So that wasn't surprising to me. But in 20 years, I might hope that people earlier in the learning process, earlier in their schooling, might have learned something that was different and that that would be helpful to me. So I, I have some empathy for why we might say things like, gosh, why don't they know about X? I, I'm curious, PJ, what, what, what is X? What, what's something that you, you think that they should know? Or do you disagree with my premise? Oh, I, I agree with the premise. Uh, here's an example of, of something that uh, I think I've dealt with throughout my Agile career how to break work down into small size chunks, right? So that it's not a one month long user story, for example. Instead, let's get it down to a one week long user story or even crazier, a one day long user story. Yep. And is it that you have a method that if they just applied, it would happen? That's a very good question. Um, usually, here's what usually happens. What I do is I sit down and I start to talk, talk to people about 
how to break down the work and they'll usually say there's no way we could break that down right and this is <laughs> this is a, a one week long story there's no way we can break this down any smaller it won't make any sense if i break it down any smaller yeah, if i, if I be- try to break this down i'll just produce meaningless little chunks just for showing you progress that doesn't mean anything yeah so um so i'll go through that process over and over and over again so that's why it does feel like um i don't mean i don't mean this at all pejoratively but it does feel like that you know fifth grade teacher my grandmother was a fifth grade teacher and she would talk about the monotony of every every year at the beginning of the year she was starting over from scratch with everything that she taught the previous year so um in some ways it's nice that every time i join a project it's because a team wants to do agile they uh, have read some stuff about agile and frequently they already think that they're doing agile and then they but but for whatever reason it's not quite working out for them so they want to get me involved so at the beginning of every project it feels sort of similar to what my grandmother would describe about her fifth grade math class where where we're starting over to uh at the beginning again i I'd like to just sort of say, uh, have a, a, a bit of um, a maths view of, of this, because uh, I think part of what we're saying here, we're observing, and I think actually your, um, what you're describing, PJ, uh, it, the, the example of kindergarten fits very well. And I don't mean kindergarten in the sense of like, these people are children, but rather that they're new to it. And I think there's there's two reasons for that. One is... Um, you know, at that time we started, it was around the time, about the time Andreessen's quote came out, software is eating the world. Um, so we're in a place where the number of people doing software development who enter the profession continues to grow. And, uh, and so the, 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 when, when expect, I haven't, I haven't looked at numbers recently, but I remember that the numbers 20 years ago <laughs> were showing this, the number of expansion of people in software. So what would that mean? It would mean that the average years of experience of a software developer are shrinking, that the, that the industry is becoming more novice on average. So that's that's one. The, the second thing that happens, and you described that people join and they um, uh, believe they're already doing Agile because they, they join organizations and that they join an organization that has a dominant paradigm already in place. They have a, a name for what we're doing, the, the standard thing. Now, what would that be? And people who've uh, may have heard us talk before about crossing the chasm. Uh, um, the the book by Jeffrey Moore has a, a, what I think is a very useful model of how uh, innovation spread out uh, through a population. He actually he he's building upon uh, earlier work about the diffusion of innovation, but he adds this chasm, and he breaks down segments of the population into early adopters or visionaries. Actually, first you have innovators, and then early adopters. And then this chasm that separates the, the early adopters from everyone else. And then you have the early majority, late majority, and laggards. And what has always been impressive to me about this model is it says that each of these groups have a different reason to change. They have a re- different reason, different motivation to adopt, adopt new techniques. And since 2006, <laughs> since that we started this uh, KitCon, because we had the same conversations kind of in 2006. We're saying, look, we've been doing CI and testing since 2001. At the time that we were doing it, no one knew 
how to do continuous integration, you know, at scale. We were we were figuring out together. We were doing what um, what uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the person's name here. Um, IT risk manager uh, Chris Matz. He described as a community of, of practice, a community of needs um, that, that we we needed to solve this. And so you had uh, the the people here who were trying to figure stuff out. We were all early adopters. We were driven by what would be better, and and so you had this community of of needs that were were inventing things. Uh, it was only later that you then, as agile practices cross the chasm into the mainstream, that you have people who are adopting it for different reasons. And I think when I hear your uh, description, PJ, part of what you're what you're saying is, why don't people know the stuff that was figured out and written down? <laughs> why don't they haven't they read the books? And uh, and 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 I think that's a for me that's a very natural response because everyone at KitCon, like our tribe of people, the people who are here on a Saturday morning in pandemic time, saying, "Sure, I'll sign up for another eight hours of Zoom calls." We're we're a self-selected group who are like we care about better. We want to talk to other people about better. And you know, if there's better ways of doing things, we're going to go seek it out. You know, we'll have read the book, and uh, and and it's it's baffling. Like, why aren't other people doing the same? Because it seems like the right thing to do if you want to be better. And to me, this is the the model that explains it. Well, other people are uh, motivated differently. And so we have this combination of new people entering and they're entering into mainstream organizations that adopted Agile, but for different reasons, like they didn't want to be left behind, like Agile, this is the early majority, Agile was the trend. And, and so they didn't, they adopted it because like everyone else was, or it became the standard. And that's where we're today, Agile is now the standard. So you have safe and you have less and scaled, you know, all this scaled Agile stuff. Every, every company says, of course, we're Agile. That's the standard. So you have these new people entering to, to groups that adopted Agile for sort of checkbox reasons. Of course, they don't know. Of course, they don't know. And, they... And, and it's, it's all also a matter of, of uh, responsibility you're willing to take and ownership you get. Because I, I think in the beginning, the people that started with doing Agile, they were just in a small, small team inventing it themselves and finding out that it was really working. And uh, the, the boundaries was your connection to, to the business, for instance. You were often working in a bubble doing agile software development and the company wasn't agile at all. And now companies try to be agile in a broader sense, but it's very much uh, a mechanism. And the teams that are working really well are often small teams that have a lot of uh, um, uh, influence in the process or in the in the product as well, and they get ownership to to create something. So it's often, um, uh, I I think it's often the the ownership that makes it work. Because if you're in a company where there's management telling you to create some product that you're not really inspired by, and that's still uh, most of the industry, right? People doing work because uh, they get paid by a company, and you're not creating really inspiring stuff. You're just doing your work as good as, uh, as you can do it. And I, the teams that work are the teams that are inspired by the stuff they're making because they really like uh, the product they're building, for instance. There's some really interesting uh, uh, um, claims that you have in there, Cirillo, about you know what drives, what you're really driving, describing there are teams that are engaged. And, you, and I think you're describing some of the 
things that lead to people being engaged. There are other reasons, and and uh, but but I, that gets us beyond <laughs> the, uh, uh, the 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 PJ's question. But I, but I think you're right, which is that essentially those engaged teams are the ones who care enough about their mission that they end up acting like the early adopters. They 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 because they're engaged, they're motivated to solve the problem, and that means they're willing to change. They're willing to look out and and seek out better ways of doing things. Um, so I think that's my my connection there. You need that inspired uh, environment in order to uh, to thrive, right? That's right. And that, and then hopefully, and this is to me like what do we what do we hope to do with the Troubleshooting Agile podcast is uh, to acknowledge the fact that there is uh, that there will always be new people coming out. There are people who, for one reason or another, will be seeking better ways. And these are the people who will end up finding out about conferences like this or podcasts like this. You know, so the troubleshooting agile audience will be among those self-selected people who are saying, "Gosh, I, there's got to be a better way." And uh, and we, we you know we can we can only uh, uh, help the willing, <laughs> the, the curious. I remember Alistair Coburn described uh, this is uh, many many years ago. People don't know Alistair Coburn is a one of the signatories of the Agile Manifesto. We should probably put a, a link to uh, in the show notes around this. Uh, we'll also put one across in the chasm, uh, even though I'm sure we've shared that in the past. I got it all covered. Keep going, Jeff. Fantastic. So Alistair Coburn described um, that he had uh, a, a, someone who engaged him to come and check out their shop and say, can you help me uh, make this team better? And, you know, he he walked around and after the first day, he told the person, he goes, nope, I don't think I can. <laughs> and he goes, well, why not? And he says, uh, they don't seem curious. I just walked around and I looked what was on people's whiteboards and I looked on the desks and this is like in the either late nineties, early two thousands. And he said, there's no books, there's no magazines. These people aren't putting discretionary effort in to learn. And without that sort of curiosity, uh, I, I don't think that you're, you're going to, it's going to be possible to improve. Now I don't, I'm, I'll be curious if I were to, to maybe I'll, I'll tweet at Alistair later today and ask him if he's seen any, uh, uh, if he, if he'd have a different view today, but, uh, that, anyway, so coming back, I think uh, wrapping up, uh, PJ, this is a great question. Um, that's my uh, kind of our take on, or at least my take on on the uh, uh, why we we are teaching the same things, talking about the same things, uh, uh, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years later. And let me let me let me close on a positive note. Would that be okay, Jeffrey? Oh, absolutely. So so um, when I taught. And I was like your, your, uh, I think it was your mother, or your grandmother, you said, PJ? Yeah, my grandmom. Grand, grandmom. Yep. So uh, uh, I would have people come in again with the same kinds of questions and problems and puzzles, and they hadn't been taught even basic algebra in high school. And so I was having to teach them some things that I thought it would have been great if they'd known. Um, and I saw that as a great challenge. I saw that as a great fun thing that I got to, uh, it was a privilege to get to teach them and to, to get better at it. And I developed things that I thought were fun and I, I really enjoyed that. I can certainly understand why some people might not. And those people probably shouldn't become uh, teachers of calculus to business students. That, that, that would not be a good career choice if you were not excited about teaching the same material again and learning how to do it better. Um, but it would also uh, be really good as a business model which is what it's turned out to be for me. So um, I've often said that as soon as people figure out how not to screw up their technology teams, I will be out of a job and that I'm not spending a lot of time worrying about that. <laughs> so that's the way I think about it is that it's a positive thing that I get to keep teaching people and that I get to learn how to do it better. I don't know if you see it that way, PJ. 
maybe we should give you the last word on this topic. Uh, there are lots of mornings I wake up and I think that I am blessed to be able to uh, talk about how to break down stories from two week stories down to one day stories, because it's actually, actually quite fun to do that. So, uh, so although I, although I may complain that we've spent 20 years solving the same problems over and over again, I still have lots of fun. And I think we'd be sad if we didn't get to do that, or at least I would. Okay. We'd love to hear from our, our listeners. Uh, what's your experience? Are, do you find yourself teaching the same things that you did a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Uh, or if, do you feel differently? Have, have you think things have moved on and, and actually you're seeing very different discussions and different conversations? Love to hear about, about that. And, uh, you know, so you can get back to us either through our website uh, where you can sign up for our newsletter or, uh, you know, hit us on Twitter. Love to hear your views. Conversationaltransformation.com. Excellent. Jeffrey will be back next week with more KitCon. That's right. Thanks, girl. Thanks, Jeffrey. And thanks everyone else.